Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a financial services practice? Four advisors in different states at different firms that have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch the right way through hard work, doing the right thing, and having fun while doing it. It's time for you to get the edge. Here are your hosts, Brad Warhurt, Jeff Copeland, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. I'm Greg Gonzalez. I'm here with Brad today, and we're going to be discussing how to handle statement shock. And what do we mean by that? We mean when the clients get their statements and they're down and they start calling and emailing you, and I guess some clients even text nowadays, how do you handle this? How, how do you react? What does this conversation look like? And, and how do you, you know, calm these clients down? That's going to be the main focus of today's episode of the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. Before we get into today's topic, I wanted to remind listeners to check out our private Facebook community, the Financial Advisors Edge podcast group. It's a private group. We're sharing a lot of content. You can become a member and join in on the fun. Find us on Facebook. And then our website is thefaedge.com. So Brad, I'll kick it off to you. How do you handle statement shock with all these clients calling and, and emailing? How do you how do you handle it? Well, I think I've mentioned this before, Greg. I just turned my phone off. <laughs> Simple enough. Yeah. No, uh, I think number one, I think you handle it differently depending on where they are in their career stage. You know, you're going to handle pre-retirees a little bit different than somebody who's been retired for ten or twenty years already. But I think the the key, the best situation to be in is when you preempt the calls and emails to them. You know, don't don't wait for them to reach out to you. You reach out to them. And I think the way that I approach it with it, where it's appropriate, which certainly pre-retirees or certain retirees in the right situation that, you know, if you just call them, I call them with the right energy and the right message of that this is a buying opportunity and I'm actually excited. You know, in the last couple of years, I'm always nervous when, you know, the market's on a big run-up because, you know, I know that this is coming at some point. Um, but, you know, I almost... I almost speak that way to them and say like, Oh, thank God this has finally happened. You know, we've been cautious for so many years knowing that this was going to happen at some point and now it did. And now we have a great buying opportunity. You know, we can buy whatever stock or whatever fund, whatever you're looking to get into for, you know, 15, 20, 25% discounts and pretty much run with it from there. And a lot of times, surprisingly, I'd say more than half the time, you know, they'll jump on my bandwagon. Whereas I know they were probably, just waiting to call me and be worried. They're just holding out as long as they could. But you know, you catch them and you're like, Hey, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> great news. The market is down and it's a buying opportunity. They'll almost catch them by surprise. And like, what? Oh yeah. It is. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> right. Right. And so it's, it's how the, the stance you take and, and how you, you explain that to a client saying, this is a buying opportunity because the market is down and it makes sense. We've all heard the old adage, buy low, sell high. 
So the market is down. So we would all agree that it's low right now. So that tells us we should be buying, right? And make them say yes. That this is how I do it anyway. Yep. And and I also explain to people, you know, there's there's long-term investors like Warren Buffett that they find this as a sale on Wall Street. So they are investing and buying a lot of money into this falling market because they just see it as a sale. And as advisors, we're paid, you know, based on how well we communicate with our clients. I think we could all agree on that. The better you can communicate what's happening and and, and keeping people's focus on, on the future and how we're going to get through this, the better you're going to be able to work with your clients. So the Warren Buffett analogy is, is something I personally use. I also say, you know, you, you want to buy your groceries when they're on sale. You want to buy uh, your clothes when you're, they're on sale. Why don't we want to buy our investments when they're on sale? Yeah. And people shake their head and, and they, they nod along. But they say, you know, that makes sense. I do something similar in that, you know, and I try and tie it, like you mentioned earlier, you buy your groceries on sale. I always try and tie it to something else that they logically do buy when it's on sale. And I usually will use a car dealership as an example. And hopefully I know what kind of car they're driving. And I'll say, you know, if you were looking at a new Honda Accord and thinking that you wanted to buy one, it's a good, solid car, you know, whatever your reason. You know, if you drive by the dealership, you know, every day on your way to work, and you see the price is $30,000 and um, you, know, you drive by one day and there's a giant sign that says dealer markup, $10,000. And now your $30,000 car is a $40,000 car. Is anybody going to head right in and buy that car? No, they're going to scoff at it, right? They're going to be like, no, I would never pay a dealer markup. I'm not, I'm not paying that price. But with stocks, people want to do that, right? Everybody wants Apple when it's over a thousand. Everybody wants Tesla when it's over a thousand. They want to buy things when they're at their peak. So I try and tie it to something that is that they they would do the logical thing and buy it when it's on sale, you know, and then turn that analogy around and say, all right, so what if you drove by and you were thinking about it at 30 and you drove by one day and there's a huge sign out front that says, you know, Black Friday sale or whatever it is. And that $30,000 car is 25. You know, that'd probably be what pushes you over the edge and says, I'm going to buy this now. Well, it's cheap and on sale, right? They can connect that concept, I think, then with where they naturally have that thought process and try and tie it back into this one because it's what they should be doing. Right, right. So th those are all great examples. And, and I, I encourage our listeners, come up with your own examples and analogies to use that, that, that maybe strike, hit home with you. But the better you can explain this for, the, for the, all the pre-retirees that can take this opportunity with the market being down to buy low, I think you're going to have a lot, lot better success. Now let's talk about, let's switch gears here. What about Brad? You mentioned the retirees, the people that, Hey, they don't have money to invest. They're not saving in their 403B or 401k. They're kind of living on their social security, maybe pension. They're drawing an income out of their investments. How do we handle those conversations? Because they're not able to dollar cost average. Right. You know, depending on where they are in their their life cycle, you know, they they could be candidates for rebalancing. You know, that, that's a possibility. Um, I, I think another maybe silver lining opportunity for some retirees that have non qualified accounts. It's a it's a good time to to talk to them about tax loss harvesting and getting some you know some positives out of a down market. But 
Uh, one thing that I showed, and maybe I think we'll talk about some of these concepts in a, in a different episode in more detail, like maybe even tax loss harvesting, but something I've been doing leading up to um, this year, I didn't know it would be this year, was in making sure that I have assets that are um, in the plan that are not subject to market fluctuation. And you know that could be for different people. They go about it different ways. We're not going to go into too much depth here, but you know, it could be CDs, it could be fixed annuities, it could be money markets, it could be a combination of those things. Um, but in my plans, I always have assets that will be unaffected by the market. Now, obviously, fixed income this year is not generally going that direction, but that's why I made some tweaks. And I think Jim did too. We'll talk about it another time. But you know, if we if we establish this pool of boring low volatility, low return assets, you know, this is a good opportunity. What I've been going and doing with my retired clients is saying, look, you know, we've got, you know, they're a million dollar client. Maybe we've got, um, you know, a hundred, 200, $300,000 in these types of assets. And again, it doesn't matter. It could be a CD ladder. It could be um, a MIGA. It could be uh money market, whatever the case may be. We can, I can look and say, Hey, you know, we're taking 40 or 45,000 bucks a year out of your million dollars and the market is down and, you know, walk them through. We don't, we don't want to sell at a, at a low price, right? It's buy low, not sell low. So what we did, why we have these boring low return assets in your portfolio is right now this year, we're drawing your income from your CD ladder or from the free withdrawals from your fixed annuity or from your money market, whatever the case may be but show them that we're really not losing money unless we sell, right? We fully, and we'll talk about this later, we fully expect Microsoft and Honda and Samsung and Apple to be around five years from now. We just need to give them an opportunity to work through you know, inflation and the difficult market, let their share prices recover. And in the meantime, we're just going to draw from things that haven't lost us a dime, right? Or maybe our our when our CD, CDs come due in our ladder this year, we're going to hold that cash aside and spend that until Microsoft has a chance to, to write their share price and then show them hopefully in advance, right? We've got enough money set aside to be able to do this for two, three, four, five years, if we have to, without touching a single dollar that's gone down in value or a dividend that comes out of any of those assets. And I think that that has a, it, it kind of brings them back to reality and showing them, hey, you know, we've got more staying power than this irrational market. If this goes on another year, two years, three years, whatever, we'll be fine. And so will Microsoft and Honda and Samsung and Target and Walmart and all those other companies. We just need to be able to give them a chance to recover, right? And I like what you did there because you said, okay, this is what we're going to do now. We've got to pivot due to this market environment. And, and yeah. we've, we've already planned for this. We've already planned ahead. It's kind of like if you were going camping. Uh, you're going to want to have, you know, a rain jacket or a poncho or what, what if it rains, what are we going to do? Right. So you're planning ahead for the, for the unknowns, you know, the market's going to dip at some point, you know, in a 30 year retirement and you've already planned ahead for it. And, and then you're also addressing, okay, when, when the clouds clear, we've got a plan in place of what we're going to then do, how we're going to pivot next. We're not just going to continue to use this, uh, low volatile, um, you know, fixed income alternatives is what I'll call them uh, to, to to supply our income indefinitely. We are going to do, we're going to at some point pivot and start taking, once we've, once the market recovers and our, our equity investments, you know, have given, we've given them enough time to rebound, then we'll pivot and make a changes down the road. 
but it's smart. It makes sense. And it, it shows the client, it proves to them that, hey, this is a well thought out plan. Yeah. And I think that concept, I mean, we'll, it, we'll go into detail another time about it, but you know, there's <clears throat> at client onboarding, talking about the, this concept and the reasoning for it. Um, I think it helps in that scenario also, because you're, you're, yeah, you can look at uh, maybe they're coming out of a 401k with a target date fund, right? Mm-hmm. Or an asset allocation fund. I mean, having your having your plan in place ahead of time allows you to do this. Whereas, you know, I might have a client that that is that does have money in a CD ladder along with bonds and and stocks and whatever else they have, um, and their return, their total return, might even be the same as a target date fund. But the difference is we can pick and choose what we buy and sell. Whereas a target date fund only has one thing. And that one thing right now is down 20%, give or take right now. So if you need money out, you're selling down 20. Uh, whereas if we've got a plan in place and assets located uh, you know, in areas where we can pick and choose, we've got the flexibility to do this, which buys us a lot of time, right? Yeah. And that's really why this type of stuff is in your portfolio in the first place. It's not to have a higher return. Yeah, it's to make you feel better. You're down, you know, 18% and 20 instead of 26. That's fine. Right. But it's really so we can pick and choose what we buy and sell. So I think going over that with them and showing them exactly how much time we have to let this play out without being in any danger is, is powerful to them. Yeah. How how and they always ask us, Brad, how bad could it get before we should really start to be concerned? And you and you can really tell somebody, hey, uh, we've got th- this could go on for three years, yeah. and we're still going to be okay. We we have built a ship a ship to 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 uh, you know make any storm and uh, weather and and, and and stay afloat. Yeah. So yeah. the other thing that you mentioned, Brad, was as as far as when you're onboarding a client. And and you've heard the the examples of of somebody. What is this an Ever Jones or who was the advisor that said there's going to come the day when you're going to be so ticked off at me, your portfolio is going to be down so much, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna want to throw a brick through my office window. Yep, and <laughs> but when you cock that arm and you have that brick, I want you to breathe deep write a checkout to add to your investments and put a rubber <laughs> put a rubber band around that check and then throw it through the window because yeah, that's so going to be it. yep so, <laughs> we've all you know, had that a, example yeah and that's a, you know that's a good one and that that's a good one to put in i think in onboarding because it'll you know you'll get a laugh out of most people and they'll remember that and then in a year like this you can reference that yeah. Right. It'll, it'll, it'll stir up like a, a laughing, like a, a lighthearted emotion. And I think it makes the conversation easier. They'll chuckle and be like, yeah. And you'd be like, this is the year. Get that brick ready. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't bring your brick. I have a stack right over there. You can borrow one of mine. Just don't forget to check. There was a guy actually with that story, uh, and I don't remember the name, Jim and Jeff May, but but basically he on the onboarding process, the guy like had bricks and had his company's name and would give it to the new clients. And on the brick it said, one in four ask me why. And and his his theory, his lesson from this was one in every four years, the SP 500 is down historically. And he he told he told clients right up front, hey, 25% of the time, you're going to be pissed off 
And you're, you're going to be so upset at me that you want to throw a brick through my window. And this is what I want you to do. So uh, it's, it's, I think it's actually a, a good strategy. It's funny, um, but you can handle it any way you want. Uh, the other thing, Brad, w- when times are tough like this, it, it often times helps to explain or remind the clients of what you're invested in the first place. So what, what their dollars are in. So you mentioned Target and Samsung and Walmart and Target and Costco. How, how do you go about that? Well, I think that you're the, I think that you have the better the better example uh, the bank example for this one. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Okay. The, Col- I, the Colgate PNG. Yeah, I I heard a story of a, a guy who was really ticked off, and he went to his advisor who was actually in a bank, and the guy said, "You know, I'm down 25, 30 percent. Uh, what are we going to do? What What are you doing?" And and the bank advisor very very calmly looked at the guy and said, did you brush your teeth this morning? And the guy said, yeah, I brushed my teeth. What does that have to do with my portfolio being down? And he said, what kind of toothpaste did you use? And the guy said, I use Crest toothpaste. What does it matter? Why does it matter? And he said, well, Crest toothpaste is made by Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble, they make not only Crest toothpaste, they make uh, laundry detergent, Tide. They make Charmin toilet paper and bounty paper towels. And you know what? Until people stop buying Crest toothpaste and brushing their teeth and washing their laundry with Tide laundry detergent and wiping their, their butt with uh, Charmin toilet paper, he goes, until they stop buying all that stuff, I- I'm not going to be concerned. In fact, Procter & Gamble is the number one holding in your portfolio. So, and the guy said, I, okay, I, I kind of get it. So let's, let's kind of re- remind people of, of what they actually own. You're still shopping at Walmart or Target. You're still giving your money to Sam's and Costco and all these different companies, Verizon or AT&T. Why do we not own these companies if we're giving them our money every single day? We're filling up with ExxonMobil on a weekly basis and just reminding clients, Hey, are these companies going out of style? Right. Brad, you use uh, Verizon in your area. Yep. Is, is Verizon big? Yeah. I, I, I seem to all, and I don't mean to pick on Verizon, although pick on Verizon, but like same thing I'll say, you know, first in, in my case, because I'm, I'm big on, on index funds and passive investing. So, you know, a lot of times people, when they leave your office, you know, they look at, you know, Vanguard large cap index, that doesn't mean anything to them or Fidelity Contra Fund, that doesn't mean anything to them. So part of this will be like, you know, going through their portfolio and showing them, hey, you know, this is just a big basket that's holding, you know, pick one, Honda, Procter & Gamble, whoever. I happen to use Verizon a lot because most people hate paying their cell phone bill. And, and And I'll always get a pretty good reaction by saying, you know, so, so what do you think that Verizon is any in any trouble right now? Like, you know, shake their head no and be like, so, you know, it's safe to say you think five, 10 years down the road, Verizon's still going to be taking our money every month. You know, still going to be taking two, 300 bucks a month for your cell phone plan. And they're always, you know, grimace on their face and shaking their head like, oh, yeah. It's like, well, that's why I don't care. Right. Yeah. Look at Verizon right now. They're down whatever double digit percentages, but I'm not worried about them. It's just, you know, right now. 
whether it's inflation or Ukraine or China and Taiwan, or we've got election, whatever it is, it's probably all of it. You know, things things are cyclical and it'll be okay. But I know why I'm not worried and why I would like to buy more is I want to be on the other side of Verizon's cash register because I send them a lot of money every month. And so do my friends. And I suspect so do tens of millions of other people. And I want to be on that side of the register. And that's all we're doing. And right. I think that, that, and you know what I've noticed? Have you? I don't know if you run any portfolios like this. I try not to, but I do have a handful of clients that have individual stock portfolios. And I have noticed they're usually the more skittish clients, which is why they wanted them in the first place, because they're looking at, you know, I need to have, you know, a bunch of dividend paying stocks. And I've, you know, obliged that at times. But I've noticed that they grasp the downturns and what's going on a lot better. When they open their statement, yes, it's down. But when they see Procter and Gamble and AT&T and Tesla and whoever else on their statement, they get it. Right. I get less questions of I don't want to lose it all because conceptually, I think they understand Walmart's probably not going anywhere anytime soon. So I think showing them, bringing them back down to earth and showing them what what they exactly own can be helpful because to them, it's very abstract. Yeah. Yeah. I and the one thing to mention, too, is it's okay if let's say Verizon's the price of the stock is down 25 percent are. Does Verizon have 25% less subscribers? Do, has their revenue gone down 25%? And most people will say, well, probably not. Well, right. well then, then probably Verizon is underpriced at this point, if that was the case, right? So, so uh, also, I use a power company. I'm in the Midwest. So Ameren is a huge uh, publicly traded power company around here. And everybody hates paying their power bill because it always seems to be going up and up and up. So right. I, I would encourage listeners, if you're in the South, I think Southern Company is a big power company. Uh, out West, it's probably something different. Uh, Brad, what's your power company out there? Uh, it's called Talon Energy. Talon Energy. I've never, see, I've never heard of an example, too, because people hate the power bill. Yep. So, so it's a great one. But you know what? Um, people... You, you ask them, okay, how's the Ameren doing? Do you, do you think they're struggling? And they'll say, oh no, Ameren's got deep pockets. They're probably doing great. Well, we'll look at look at their stock price. Maybe it's down twenty percent year to date. Do you, do you think it's it's probably underpriced? Don't you? Well, yeah, Ameren's making money hand over fist. I want some of it. So, uh, so bringing it back to what people understand, and th- there's the old adage. One of the things I learned in this business: people don't buy what they don't understand. And that, I think that's probably why that stock portfolio, uh, what you have identified, Brad, is once people understand what they own, it gives them comfort. And and there's a there's there's this fear of the unknown that that they you know of, of okay is is my mutual fund working for me the way it should? They're looking at the stocks and they know all of the companies and they know they're strong companies and that's given them the confidence. So I think that's, I think that's absolutely huge. Um, I'm going to circle back one of the, and I don't want to <clears> spend a lot of time on it, but for the non-qualified accounts, when the market's down, a lot of times we'll look at uh, harvesting losses and, and, and saying to the client, hey, this is going to help you from a tax perspective. You can actually write part of, or all of the losses off, the capital losses off on your taxes, and it may make sense to do so. Let's talk about you know making hay when the sun's shining, so to speak. Um, 
and and harvesting those losses to at least you can get a, a discount on your taxes. Yep. So, um, but it's it's all how you frame the conversation. And if you're if if the client calls, oh, I'll give a perfect example. I got a client that um, the market was going down during COVID, and he called his Edward Jones advisor panicked, and he said, you know, it's it's down thirty percent. What are we going to do? What changes are we going to make? When's the market going to come back? And you know what his Edward Jones advisor said to him? What do you think I have a crystal ball? <laughs> well, you can imagine that's not what this guy wanted to hear. Right. So uh, he, he came in, he said, I'm interviewing new advisors. You know, we did a retirement plan for him, you know, got a, a good understanding of his risk tolerance. And he was way, way more conservative. Uh, didn't have a very big appetite for risk. And you looked at his portfolio and he was in very, very aggressive, small cap, international, that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, you can choose how you um, communicate with clients when they're calling, when they're emailing, when the market's down, but but don't tell them, whatever you do, don't tell them, what do you think? I have a crystal ball. Right. You, you've got to be polite and be confident, keep your composure. Uh, but but the other thing that we do is, well, you know, if if they're so concerned, we'll say, well, why don't why don't we take this as an opportunity to kind of uh, get a temperature check on your retirement plan to see if you're still on track? Let's let's use for a pre-retiree. This is yep. uh, let's let's say okay, let's update the figures in your retirement plan to see if this this market setback has thrown your retirement plan off track. And if we need to postpone your retirement now, or if uh, if we're you know concerned over really nothing, because yep. this isn't this isn't a big enough setback to throw you off track. Yep. So so that's what we'll do is update their plan with these new figures, show it to them, and then they're and then it's kind of like a sigh of relief, like okay, huh, our portfolio is temporarily down. Yep. But but the game's not over at this point. You know, we, we've still got six years until retirement or eight years until retirement. We're going to be okay. Yep. This isn't a, de- this isn't a devastating blow that we can't recover from. No. And, you know, I'll show, even though I'm going to guess, I never thought of this, but I'm going to guess a fair number of people listening to this themselves have not been through professionally a real downturn, right, in their career. Because, I mean, oh, wait, to those of us that were in the industry, it seems, to me, it still feels fairly recent, but, you know, it's been a long time. Um, So, you know, when you're, if you're doing something like this, where you're showing them that their plan still works, a lot of times I'll show them also, like, how things went from 2008, right? And because most of my clients, and I'm sure most everyone's clients can at least remember it. And, you know, you can show them the five-year number off of uh, off of 2008 or off of March 2009's lows, or I'm sorry, right? Um, and, you know, I'll try and remind them because they, you know, unless they're in their early 30s, they're going to remember a lot of it. And, you know, I'll say, do you, you know, do you remember what the news was and why they'll say like, oh, everything's so bad. We got an election, whether you like the president or not, you got all this stuff. And they're like, it's so bad. We got to get out. And you remind them, what was the news in March of 2009, right? Bank of America and Merrill Lynch just got merged. You know, Lehman's gone. Wachovia is gone. You've got banks failing every other week in the news. Nobody was saying, you're going to get your money in now because this puppy is about to go up a couple hundred percent. Nobody said that. Now, I literally remember listening to CNBC or something and 
the Dow was in the 6,000 range and they're like, you know, I don't think it was, I don't think it was Rubini, but it was some negative economist that was like, we could theoretically go to zero because of this. And it's like, that was the news, right? Right. Employment's getting, you know, 9% or whatever it was. That was the news. Nobody was like, this thing's about to take off like a rocket for the next decade plus. Nobody said that. Show and and bring them back and show them and be like, this is what happened. Right. So that's basically saying the, the crystal ball thing in a less offensive way, but bringing them back to reality. And I think what we're saying in a lot of this is preempt and educate. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's a, there's a piece, there's a piece that I use um, that, that shows, okay, when the market S and P 500 was down uh 20% or more um, most of the time, it's always followed by a big up year. Yeah. Like you look at that. <laughs> Yeah, you look at yeah, 2008 to th- 2009, 2002 to 2003, I think 1973 to 1974, you know, all, all those different years. So give them some, teach them, give them yeah. some historical perspective. Um, but but it's good. Uh, and bring up things like, like Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett said, uh, get greedy when other people are fearful, get yep. fearful when other people are greedy. Uh, and of course, he's a big value guy. He wants to be buying into the market when it's on sale, when there's bargains to be had, like we said. So uh, I, I think it's kind of changing the conversation is what we want to try to teach our listeners and how to handle these these concerned clients to kind of keep them on track. Yep. Because what you don't want is you don't want people cashing out their portfolio while the market's down and then they you know sit in the money market and then the market rebounds and makes up every penny and they're still sitting over there in the money market. Yeah, you, you know what I think on the the preempt and educate thing and that's not not that wasn't scripted by the way. Anyone like it just <laughs> seems that this is right? I think by a lot of times people are going to herd mentality is kind of a a real thing. Right? So one thing by preempting their phone call is I, you hear people leaving advisors because they don't communicate with them. I've heard when I've gotten a new client, it'd be like, I don't even think he looks at my stuff. I haven't talked to him in so many years. So number one, by preempting them, you're taking that concern off the table, right? That in their mind, if it's wandered to that, that rich stockbroker is probably just playing golf at the country club while I'm bleeding, right? You right. calling them shows, takes that fear away. They don't even have to worry about it, right? He is looking at my stuff. He is. Wow. He called me, number one, right? And then number two, all this other stuff, whether you're talking about Warren Buffett, talking about Procter & Gamble and Verizon, showing them what they own, right? And re-educating them, you're just, you're showing them, you're you're showing them you're not worried and it makes sense to you, right? And I think they're going to hop on that. And the, the best one I'm thinking right now is, you know, look at, look at flying, right? You're on a plane and if you hit some turbulence and nobody else is worried, even if it's your first time or you don't like turbulence, you know, you're going to assess the situation and you look at the stewardess, right? And you're like, nobody else is worried. That's going to give you some comfort, right? But if I'm in a plane and there's turbulence and I see and I see the employees like running for cover and panicking, I'm going to join them in that panic. Like I'm going to adopt their mindset the people around me and especially the people that I trust to know what's going on. Right. So I think by preempting these phone calls and explaining the reason that, you know, I'm not worried about my own accounts and this is why it really is why. 
I don't have to talk myself through the toilet paper or toothpaste or the phone bill, but it is why. I want some of Verizon's profits over the rest of my life. You're just, right? You're just getting them to go along with the idea that we already have. And I think that's what all these examples are doing. I think so too. And the the other thing, by you reaching out to these clients, because you know they're going to be probably reaching out to you, Brad, it shows that you care, right? And you're looking out after their best interests. And especially for the clients that said, hey, my advisor hadn't, my previous advisor hadn't, hasn't called me in four years. And I've had those, those new clients. And then you kind of know that, hey, communication, yeah, communication is key for those people. But, but I think that's what people want is they want someone who cares, who, who honestly cares about, you know, their well-being and is looking out for them. That's what people want. You know, at at my company, uh, with, with my team, my small team here, our, one of our mission statements is I, I want to show people that we care more than we more than they expect us to care. Because I, right. I, I think it's huge. And we live in a world where customer service, it's at all time lows. So so how can we how can we be better than that? How can we provide a five-star experience? And and Brad's doing just that by proactively reaching out to people. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's key. So, uh, so Brad, how do you want to wrap this up before we go? Any, any closing thoughts? You know, I, I think without getting into the details, I think that the, the preempt and educate is what we, is the wrap up here, but also, you know, I'm going to mention, and maybe we'll have some discussion on Facebook about it. I think some of the things that we've talked about are putting not even the plan or the portfolio in place ahead of time, but I think that we should do an episode on like doomsday prepping your finances. Right. Yeah. And so anybody listening, don't take that to mean like that Greg and I have like, <clears throat> you know, the secret sauce that we're our clients are up 12% this year. That's not the case. Right. But all the stuff we're talking about is just there's no magic, there's no sizzle to it. Right. right. How how to how to implement some of the things we're talking. You know, Greg mentioned, <clears throat> you know, reworking their plan ahead of time. Well, in order to in order to use that this year, you have to have a plan last year. <laughs> right. right? Some of the stuff I've talked about, about almost like a bucket approach, using the CD ladder and the portfolio and how to position it. That's great for me because I've been doing it for three, four or five years now. But maybe we should do an episode on some of these concepts so that, you know, they can be put into place for next time. Uh, I think that'll be a useful episode. And if we want to have a discussion about it on Facebook, I think somebody go ahead and start that post. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're I don't listening, know what you win, it's probably nothing, but we'll come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll yeah, I uh, <laughs> I encourage the first listener uh to uh to create that post on our uh private Facebook group and uh Brad mentioned it, I'll mention it again, the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. Uh find us on Facebook, we're a private group, lot to learn, lot to share there. Um and I'll kind of close out the episode by kind of echoing what what we've already said. But it always, you've got to come up with a way to calm your clients when they get these statements and they're down, right? And kind of reminding them, hey, we knew this was coming. We've got a plan. We're not going to panic. Panic is not a strategy, right? Panicking and selling everything, moving to the money market and making these temporary losses permanent, that that's not going to be a, a, a strategy. That's 
that's not going to work and it's not in your best interest long term. But you've got to be able to be crisp with being able to teach and explain these concepts to clients in a language that they can understand. And the better you can get at using different examples and analogies and, and reminding them, hey, this is what we own, the better your clients, the chances of sticking with the program and the better off they're going to be. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're kind of, as advisors, we're kind of like that personal trainer that's going to get you the results that you want. That's why people hire us. You know, a, a client hires us to say, hey, I want to be able to retire when I'm 65 and I want to have financial independence, but I'm not going to be able to accomplish that on my own. I need your help. And so we're, we're there to be the teacher, the, you know, the fishing guide example is what I use. Hey, imagine I'm, a, I'm your fishing guide. I'm going to get the results that you're looking for uh, and make that experience uh, much more successful. So I hope this episode of the Financial Advisors Edge podcast has been helpful. Give us a five-star review if you like what we're sharing and uh, find us on Facebook, the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week.